It's week two of our special series on health policy in the 2020 election. After a week exploring President Trump's record, we now turn to the plans of his opponent, former Vice President Joe Biden. First up, what impact would Biden's plan to expand on the Affordable Care Act have on one of our country's most persistent problems? 30 million Americans uninsured before the pandemic and more than 40 million more underinsured. From the Annenberg Studio at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. I introduced a plan to build on Obamacare. Building on Obamacare. Building on the Affordable Care Act he's trying to rip away. If you had to describe Joe Biden's plans on coverage in one word or phrase, what would it be? It's really about shoring up the Affordable Care Act. Christine Eibner is a senior economist at the RAND Corporation who has researched health policy reforms for more than a decade. So we're not talking about a major transformation or a move to a new health care system. This is about ensuring the affordability of existing options and closing some gaps that were left when the Affordable Care Act was enacted. What are the big holes and shortcomings Biden is aiming to fix with his health plan? Well, one big hole is the issue that there are about 4.5 million people who are uninsured, who would have been eligible for Medicaid had their states expanded. And so Biden's plan aims to provide an option for that group. In addition, even for those who have access to insurance, many find it unaffordable. And Biden's plan aims to shore that up by reducing both premiums and the out-of-pocket costs people will face. So really, Biden has three plans to address these and other holes, right? One, a public insurance option that would be available to just about anyone. Two, expand the pool of people eligible for ACA subsidies and increase the size of those subsidies. And three, lower the eligibility age for Medicare from 65 to 60. That's right. All right, Christine. On today's episode, we're going to borrow from one of our favorite shows and do health insurance reform in three acts, plus an epilogue. Stay with us. I'm just kidding. Act one, the public option. I've added to the Obamacare plan the Biden initiative, which is a public option. Public option? We need a public option now more than ever. Christine, first, just explain in a sentence or so, what is a public option? A public option is a government-run health plan that would compete with private insurance plans, such as those offered by companies like Aetna, Blue Cross, United Healthcare. Right. And Biden has said his public option would be like Medicare, negotiating lower prices from hospitals and doctors. But the former vice president hasn't offered any details beyond the one paragraph you can find on his website. We reached out to his campaign several times, but didn't hear back. Christine, you've modeled what would happen if a version of a public option was introduced. How many people did you find would gain coverage as a result? We have found that the increase in coverage could range anywhere from 100,000 to as much as 3 million 
And that's a pretty large range, partly because some of these details still need to be clarified. So one important question is how much leverage is the federal government really going to bring to reducing prices? So if they bring stronger leverage and premiums get much cheaper, that's when we see something closer to $3 million. If they don't end, it's just a little bit cheaper than a private option, then maybe not as much of an effect. So when it comes to the public option, it would also have some effect on Medicaid too, right, Christine? That's right. So those 4.5 million people who are uninsured because states didn't expand Medicaid, Biden would offer the public option for free to this group and take aggressive steps to get them enrolled. Act two, subsidies. Subsidies are one of the wonkiest parts of health insurance, and Biden's plan talks a lot about them. So first, some basics. An ACA subsidy is effectively the federal government picking up a chunk of the monthly premiums for most of the roughly 11.5 million people who buy insurance on the exchanges. They're calculated based on people's income and the price of a mid-level insurance plan where they live. The less you make, the more the government picks up. At a high level, Christine says Biden wants to make these government subsidies more generous and available to more people. So right now, the subsidies are only available to people with incomes below 400% of the federal poverty line. That's about $100,000 for a family of four. Biden would eliminate that cutoff. Another part of this is just trying to make insurance cheaper, helping in part the more than 40 million Americans who are underinsured, according to the Commonwealth Fund. The subsidy is currently pegged to the value of a medium generosity or so-called silver plan on the health insurance marketplaces. Biden's plan would peg the subsidy to a gold level plan, which is more generous. And it would enable people to purchase uh, more generous health insurance options that have lower deductibles or lower out-of-pocket costs. And finally, Biden would boost subsidies by lowering the maximum amount of a person's income that they'd be expected to put toward their premium. The maximum percentage contribution is about 9.5% of income. That would fall to 8.5% of income under the Biden plan. Christine, it sounds like this would go a long way to expanding coverage, reducing the 30 million people who are uninsured. Is that what you found here? Well, not necessarily. So our best estimate is that this would increase the number of people with insurance by about 2.4 million. And so a lot of the effect of a proposal like that may be helping people who already have insurance coverage in that their premium payments become lower, but it's not necessarily bringing new people onto the market. Quick little footnote before we move on. Remember when we were talking about the public option? If the public option passed and ended up influencing that benchmark plan, which dictates the value of the subsidies, some consumers could end up seeing smaller subsidies. Act three, a super short one, Medicare. Okay, Christine, finally, let's turn to Biden's uh, plan to lower the Medicare eligibility age from 65 to 60. Is this likely to make much of a dent in the uninsured rate? 
Well, the issue with this reform is that there's really a finite population of people who are between the ages of 60 and 64 who don't have health insurance coverage. So uh, a recent estimate from the Census Bureau suggests that there are only about 1.6 million people who are uninsured. So there's a limit to how far this policy could go. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This brings us to our epilogue, putting Biden's plans into context. The Biden campaign has made a particular point of saying their health care proposals are going to really help communities of color. Based on their research, should we expect large numbers of people of color to gain insurance through these proposals, Christine? So one of the features of the Biden plan would provide the public option for free to people who are in that Medicaid expansion gap. Are you eligible now for Medicaid? Well, if you are, you're in. Come on, nothing, free, move, we'll move you in. So that's that 4.5 million people who would have been eligible for Medicaid had their states expand, expanded in uh, the Medicaid program. We know from prior literature that states that expanded their Medicaid programs saw a bigger decline in both the black-white insurance gap and the insurance gap between whites and Hispanics. So if that follows through to allowing this population to enroll on the public option, it may further reduce those gaps. Joe Biden says the price for his health care package, including these three pieces, would be about $750 billion over the next decade. Other estimates have put it a shade higher, and a lot depends on variables, like how much the federal government would actually end up paying doctors and hospitals under the public option plan, a total unknown right now. So, Christine, I guess the real question here is, What impact would that $750 billion in new spending have on overall federal health care spending? Well, currently, the federal government spends about a trillion dollars a year on health care. And so $750 billion over a 10-year period is a relatively small increase. I mean, we're talking less than 10% a year on an annualized basis. At least one group has estimated that Biden's plan might push total U.S. health care spending, what everybody pays, up or down a little. But when you think of a 7 or 8% increase in federal spending per year, what would we actually get from that? You know, the most optimistic estimates are saying, you know, 15 to 20 million people could get insurance through this plan. Now, some other estimates are, are lower, and a lot depends on some uncertain elements that haven't been fully specified yet. And then beyond that, there's the issue that health care may become more affordable for some people through this plan. Right. So you're saying millions more people would get insurance, but not all, not the full 30 million. 
and of the estimated 40 million more who are underinsured, some percentage of those folks would have an easier time affording and meeting their healthcare needs. That's right. And what would it take to get all the way? Is there anything short of Medicare for all, which Biden has opposed, that would fully insure those 30 million people? Well, there's always going to be a challenge with uh, covering the undocumented population um, because that group currently is not eligible for any of the coverage reforms on the table. But beyond that, I think the only other thing to do is a really aggressive form of the individual mandate that has serious penalties attached to not being insured. At some point, it requires a little bit more of an aggressive push to try to bring people in who have decided not to purchase insurance for whatever reason. The problem Joe Biden is trying to solve, making it easier for Americans to access care, has been around for generations. I've repeatedly asked the Congress to pass a health program. The nation suffers from lack of medical care. President Truman tried to address it, and Nixon too. We will establish a new system that makes high-quality health care available to every American in a dignified manner and at a price you can afford. Biden's solutions are also nothing new. People between the ages of 62 and 65 would be able to buy into the Medicare program. One of the options in the exchange should be a public insurance option. Uh, Same problems, same solutions. The question is, would Joe Biden be able to get a different result if he became president? I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. In the final episode of our special series on health care and the presidential election, we examine former Vice President Joe Biden's plans to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. Biden has proposed something that the other countries aren't doing right now. It's really difficult for a supply chain to have a plan in, you know, 2,000 words or less. It's not just a question of having the mandate on the books. You also need people to abide by them. Next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Tradeoffs, keep in touch with us between episodes by signing up for our newsletter. Just click the big orange button at the top of our website, tradeoffs.org. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at TradeoffsPod, and you can really help us out by giving us a rating on Apple Podcast. It helps other listeners find us. The Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Vicki Stern, intern Sabrina Ems, communication and marketing manager Emily Patterson, researcher Jamie Song, partnerships lead Jessica Silverman, sound designer Andrew Perella, and editor Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Additional thanks to Maria Polyakova, Willie She, Naomi Zodi, Gwendolyn Roberts-Majette, Samantha Artiga, Linda Blumberg, John Rother, Billy Wynn, Doug Badger, Robin Rudowitz, Kavita Patel, Larry Levitt, Katie Keith, Edwin Park, Ben Ippolito, Mark Miller, and the Tradeoffs Advisory Board. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the California Healthcare Foundation and Arnold Ventures. Additional support from the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics and the Center for Public Health Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders.
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.